We're going to be uh, mainly in, in the Gospel of John, but I'm going to read one verse out of Hebrews as a reminder, and then we're going to go to John 20. Remember, uh, here recently we've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews and we've read all the words of Hebrews all the way up into chapter 11 over a period of time. And then, of course, here recently with uh, you know, Christmas time and, and special messages that we've done, we haven't been in Hebrews. So now I want to try to get back into it and finish it up because we're almost done, right? Almost done. Well, I could, I could spend a year on Hebrews 11. And I could, but we're not going to do that. And I want to remind you what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Now, faith, you know, faith is something that people, there's different definitions depending on what you're really thinking about when you say the word faith. And you can have faith in a fellow person, you know, and, and you show them honor when you, when you believe what they tell you. And sometimes people earn that, that they, they, they say what they mean, they mean what they say. And uh, so you can't have faith in a person. You, you show faith in, a lot of times you'll hear people, uh, preachers especially, talk about getting into an airplane and flying. Okay, you have faith in something you don't understand. You may not understand how it's all put together and how it can actually fly through the air. It makes no sense to you. you. You just can't figure it out. But because you get into the plane and you expect to get to where it's taking you, you have faith in that. Well, all of those are examples of faith, but the faith of the Bible is a faith that you have in your heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ, and what He's done for you. Now, faith isn't something that you're supposed to try to build up within yourself. It's something that grows because of where your focus is, and it should be on Jesus. Now, we're... we're being religious will say to people, you need to work on your faith or you need to have more faith where we're directing it to the person, but yet we're, we should be thinking of faith as something that is directed to Jesus. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to the human mind, but it is critical because faith would mean nothing if we could see it. If we can see these things, then anybody could believe. Now, we are in an age or a dispensation of time where God is dealing with us in a certain way, and we are to, re to respond to Him in faith. Now, 
in that, in that time period, which has been going on for about 2,000 years now, it's going, it's going to come to an end to where we cannot be saved through faith in Jesus on the merit of his shed blood and him going to the cross for us, that time period is going to end one day. And sometimes it ends for you when you die. It's all over. You don't have a chance anymore. But while you're living on this earth in this time period of this dispensation of grace, faith is how we live. Faith is, is the answer. It's through faith that we believe that Jesus did all those things for us. Did you see it happen? Did you personally see any of that happen? It says right here, evidence of things not seen. Now let's go to John chapter 20. Now this uh, story right here, to set it up, Jesus has been killed. He has been taken. He was violently nailed to a cross. He had already told his disciples that all these things were going to happen. And they were even sad at times when he told them those things. They even said, oh, no, no, that can't happen. We're not going to let that happen. I mean, they actually responded to some of these claims that Jesus had of what he had to do and what was going to happen to him. But yet now that it has happened, they, they have lost hope. He's gone now and they don't seem to remember the things that he had told them. And now there's a, a woman, um, this is, uh, I'll just start reading at 11. But Mary stood without, or outside, at, at the tomb, secular, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the secular, and seeth two angels in white, in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at, at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, so she's looking in there, and he's no longer there. So she's this witness, and she's going to have a story to tell. Now, notice that uh, in 16, that's when Jesus, Jesus appears to her. She's sad. She's wanting to know where the body has been and all that stuff, where it's been taken. And when she hears Jesus say her name, then she knows it's him, right? And then in 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. You know, we are instructed and encouraged to go out into the world and to proclaim this. We're to be like this Mary Magdalene who was... She, she, she loved Jesus because Jesus 
accepted her. She was a horrible, sinful woman. She was even demon-possessed, and Jesus had freed her from that, and she was so committed to him. Women were not well-respected, and they, they would not be used for testimony. The, just the fact that the Bible uses women to say this, to say these things, you should really take notice of that, that women were involved. And it was first the women who really believed and actually saw him. The rest of these guys, these men who had walked with him, whose names were mentioned over and over again, they were called, all of them, where are they at? They're hiding. They're scared. And they're hiding. And they're looking at what happened to Jesus, and they have been followers of Jesus, and if they would do that to Jesus, they would definitely do that to them. And they were scared. And Mary was uh, instructed to go and tell the disciples. In 19 it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, which would be a Sunday, resurrection day, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. That's where he should be, right? That's where Jesus should be. In the midst, at the center of everything. And saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto, unto them his hands and his side, and they were, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, if you go over to Luke 24, you will see where they were. You don't have to turn there. I'm not going there. I'm just, I'm just showing you another place where you can go and see this, where Jesus shows up into the room. It, it, the Bible tells us that they were scared and that they had uh, made the door very secure. They didn't want anybody coming in. And Jesus just, the Bible tells us that everything was secure. Didn't have to tell us that, but wanted us to know that Jesus comes into that room without coming through the door. And he's in his glorified body. All right, well, something else has happened at this point, there were, in 24 of Luke, there was that Emmaus Road, that couple who were walking on the Emmaus Road going back home. Sometime before Jesus shows up to his disciples in the evening. Now, when you're reading that story about the couple who were walking, there was two people, say two disciples were walking back, and I mentioned, I think it was on a Wednesday night, uh, we know that Cleopas was one of them. Cleopas, I guess that's how you say it. And I said, I think that it was Cleopas and his wife. Why? Because in, I think it was John 19, if you back up a page, John 19, 25, it's talking about all the women who were standing at the cross. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister. And then it says, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. 
There it is. And Mary Magdalene. All those Marys were standing under the cross, standing there. So the wife of Cleophas. See, women weren't named that often. So I think it was that married couple were walking back to their home, and Jesus kind of walks up beside them, and they're talking about all the things that had happened. And Jesus acts like he doesn't know what's going on. He says, so what are you talking about? And they start, I mean, how could you not hear? How do you not know of all these things that have happened? And they end up going to Cleophas and his wife's house. They compel him because he's, he is sharing with them all the things that the law of Moses said and all the things the prophet said concerning Jesus and him having to die on the cross. He, he was like, you guys should know this. It was in all of your writings up until this time. And they were amazed at what he was explaining to them, and they said, come into our house. And when they sat down at the table, Jesus broke bread, and I think they saw those nail prints in his hands when he broke that bread, and all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, this is the resurrected Jesus. And he vanished. And they get up, and they run back down. This is eight miles. They, they get all the way back to where these disciples were hiding, and they go up there, probably had a special code. They probably knocked this way if you're, you know, or we're not letting you in. I don't know what the system they had set up. So they got word from Cleophas and his wife that Jesus was writ, has, has risen from the grave. He's alive. And now Mary Magdalene is, is, uh, has told them as well and uh, she probably tells them first, and then we don't see it right here, but that couple is involved in this situation right here because over in 24, they are in the room telling them about it, and then Jesus shows up. So, all right, so back to uh, 20, uh, John 20, in verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, that was to these disciples who were scared. They, weren't, they did not have the ability to go out and do the things that Jesus was calling them to do. They, just, they were weak extremely weak and scared. And Jesus is right here is introducing to them this concept of, of them being the church and going out into the world and carrying on what Jesus did while he was on this earth. But something very significant has to happen. Jesus had to go be with the Father. Now, I think that up here, in, uh, when he was telling Mary Magdalene, up here in, in verse 17, don't touch me or hold me up. I got to go to the Father. I think that, and you've heard me say this before, I think Jesus had gone back up to Calvary, had picked up his blood, and took it to the Father sometime before, between morning and evening and actually deposited his blood on the true mercy seat 
the throne of God in heaven. And, and I proved it to you out of, uh, out of Hebrews. You can read in Hebrews, pretty sure it's chapter 9, where that is in fact what Jesus did. I also believe that the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant has the blood of Jesus on it as well. The Ark of the Covenant that's on the earth. On earth as it is in heaven. And the blood of Jesus is a very precious thing. Very precious. One of these days we'll, we'll do something on that. We'll get into more detail on that. But that the blood of Jesus is, is, is what enables us to not have to go through death and hell forever. The, sin, the sins of each and every one of us has to be paid for. God the Father is a holy God. He cannot help but to do what is right and just, which means every one of us has to die and be punished for the sin unless we're hidden Jesus. And Jesus, and you have to accept that Jesus has done that for you and by faith believe on the shed blood of Jesus to cleanse you so that you can go be with him in heaven one day. You know, the, the temple, the holy temple, if you think about it, there were people who could only go around a certain area. You got the outer court, the inner court, and then the holy of holies. Gentiles had to stay outside in the outer. Then if you were special, you could go to the inner court, but only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, and he better have blood. God designed marriage to be a type and picture of the temple. You know, a woman, her, her body is very precious, and certain, you know, a woman can be in society, and certain men can get so close but have to kind of stay their distance. And then there's other men, like a brother or a father, who can get a little bit closer, and it's okay. But only one man, only one man, under the covenant of marriage through God, can be with that woman in that one special way that God designed. Now, we... As human beings, because Satan hates that picture, see, the woman's body is like, it, be, to, be, to go into her, and, and that one man had better have blood, and that produces life. You know, blood is in the seed of the man. In the Holy of Holies, blood had to be deposited. Only one man in, in the covenant of marriage. Now, Satan, you, you understand why Satan has corrupted that and goes after it with all his might, making everybody think that it's okay, it's no big deal. If you don't understand how big of a deal that is, that, that you are to save yourself for the person you marry, Satan wants to tell you that it's no big deal and that your body will be defiled and corrupted 
if you don't follow God's plan and the Holy of Holies could be corrupted. You know, that's what Antiochus Epiphanes, um, he destroyed the temple in that he offered the blood of a pig inside of that, inside of the temple. He, he desecrated it. And we, we, our bodies, we're supposed to allow Jesus to come inside. It's got to be perfectly clean. And the blood of Jesus is what cleans it so where he can dwell inside of us. Jesus says, look, I want you to go out and tell the whole world this. And he says, look what he says here in 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Remember, Jesus said, I must leave so that the Comforter can come back. All right, here's another picture for you. There are three heavens. Now, remember the temple. Outer court, inner court, and the Holy of Holies. I want you to imagine the heavens. There's three heavens, right? How do we know there's three heavens? Because Paul told us that he went to the third heaven. Now, whether in body or spirit, he, not, he couldn't tell you, but he knew he was there. But he said it was the third heaven. Well, if he was in the third heaven, that means that there's a second and a first. And the first heaven is that place where the clouds are going by and the birds are flying through. You know, and mankind has, has invented airplanes and they get in them and they fly through the first heaven. And we, but, but that's about all you can do. And, and then there's some people, they're special. They, they build spaceships and space shuttles, and they go up past the first heaven, and they get into the second heaven, and they ride around up there in these spacecrafts and think there's something else. Are they ever going to get to the third heaven? Can man, under his own abilities, which are great, are they going to figure out how to get, build a spaceship to get into the third heaven? Only my invisible spaceship that I did, and I, it was right here, it's just a make-believe story, right, of being able to fly into heaven and what it would be like. Uh, man's best efforts. There's going to be hundreds of millions of years at traveling at the speed of light will never get you to the third heaven. Unless you're hid inside of Jesus, you're not getting in to the heaven of heavens. You're not getting there. 23, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and who, whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, the Roman Catholics have taken this verse right here, and they have given the priest that office of people come in and confess their sins to you, and if they do, then those sins can be remitted, but if they don't, so this verse has been really messed up by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, we cannot remit anybody's sin. So when it says, uh, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, it, it's almost sounding like he's given the person or these disciples the ability to take people's sins away or to leave sins on people. Now, and, each, and every one of us are able to go out and to tell somebody the gospel story, and if they believe 
then you can tell them your sins have been remitted. But if they don't believe, you need to let them know, hey, you're still walking in your sins. Drive slow. Don't do any rock climbing. Don't do any parachuting. You still, you're still living in your sins. Don't do anything dangerous. Come back and talk to me some more. But if your sins are remitted because you believe, go do whatever you want. You can die any time now. 24. But Thomas, when you see but in the Bible, it's always significant. But Thomas, one of the 12. Now, the only, I'm, I'm pretty sure the only other time that a disciple was talked about as being one of the 12 would be Judas. And then there's one of the 11, you know, because Judas was not one of them anymore. So you had of the 11, the ones that were remaining. But here, Thomas is talked about as being one of the 12, which might have some significance to it. You know, he's got this name, Doubting Thomas. He's, he's earned this nickname. Uh, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. What a shame. What a shame. I mean, think about the people who are not with us today. They're not, they're not assembled with the rest. What a shame. They missed it. They, they missed one opportunity for Jesus to show up and to share something with them. And Thomas just wasn't there. Where was he at? What was he doing? Why was he not in the room with all the rest of the disciples? We don't know. He probably had a good excuse. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. Now Thomas is being told by the disciples who were just as unbelieving as he was before Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up and revealed himself to them, and now they are believing. And then Thomas shows up. He's already heard from Mary Magdalene. He's already heard, possibly, from the couple who's walking on the Emmaus Road. Maybe he missed that because he wasn't there. And then he comes in later, and the disciples themselves, ten of them, tell him they've seen Jesus. Don't get too discouraged when you go out and you tell people and they don't believe. Those are things that we need to learn to where when we go out, people will see something in us that maybe they will believe. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, evidently, that spear that went into the side of Jesus must have made a really big hole because he said, I want to put my fingers in the nail holes. So that must have been pretty small. But he evidently had seen Jesus slain on the cross. I mean, Jesus had given up his spirit, and then the Roman soldier comes over and sticks that spear in the side, and a massive amount of blood and water comes pouring out. And it must have been a really massive wound because he said, I want to stick my hand in that. And unless I see it, I won't believe. Are you that way? 
You know, are the people that you want to go out and minister to, are they going to say, unless I see it, I won't believe it? Seeing is believing. Well, the Bible says that uh, not seeing, not seeing, things not seen, we have that opportunity to live in faith. I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, they were back, and Thomas with them. Then, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. He, turned, he comes into this room. There's 11 disciples in there that we know of. And Jesus immediately turns right to Thomas. And what does he say to him? Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas has already heard. Now he has seen. Is he going to touch? Does he need to go over and touch him? No. He has heard and seen. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Saying my Lord means that he it's a very personal thing that he wants Jesus to come inside of him, and he has a place. Uh, Jesus can sit on the throne of Thomas's heart by what he just confessed. And then, my God, God has a place of all creation and is over it all. 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now that's all of us if we're believers. Are you a, a blood-bought believer? Are you? You haven't seen. You haven't touched the nail prints. You haven't thrust your hand into the side of Jesus. He has not shown up physically to show us those things. And we all have an opportunity to believe in faith by the witness of others who have given us the message and have passed it down from generation to generation. And more and more people are becoming doubters. The, far, the farther along we go, as more time goes by, there's more and more doubters and time's going to run out. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. In verse 30 it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Why not? If seeing's believing, why didn't they record more and more all these different things? You know, there's, there are many miracles and signs that are listed in the Gospels and as you get to John, it's the least, I think there's eight recorded miracles in the Gospel of John. But he makes mention right here that many signs truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, but they're not written in this book. Why? It's an evil generation that requires a sign. He's diminishing 
those miracles in this book of John. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. We have this special opportunity to believe through faith in the grace that Jesus showed us. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And he wants to give them to you, but only through Christ are you going to get them. If you want the Holy Spirit, do you want the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, I must go so that I can send the Comforter to you because you will be hidden in this upper room, scared to go out and do anything for God if you don't have the Holy Ghost that came down on Pentecost and, and got into people. The same people who hid in this room who did not have the courage to go out and to do what Jesus was calling them to do, those same people, about 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came down and came into them, and they were willing to go out and preach the name of Jesus. What, if you beat them, that just encouraged them to do it more. If you stoned them to death, that just encouraged, encouraged all the people who saw it to go out and do it even more. The Holy Ghost, if you don't have it in you, you need to glorify the Son. Glorify the Son if you want the Holy Ghost. See Him on the cross, bleeding for you. See Him, see him being put in the grave and the stone rolled over, sealed by Pilate and the, and, and the, the government of Rome sealed. See him go in there. See the stone rolled away. See Jesus in his glorified body and know that he went to heaven and deposited his blood in the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies. And the Holy Spirit, when you glorify God, when you glorify the Son of God in that way and believe all those things, then the Holy Ghost can come inside of you and you will be able to go out and do these great things that Jesus has asked us to do. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for this message and your word. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who, even though we do not see, we believe. Thank you for the opportunity to believe in you through faith. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.